All right, if you have a Bible this morning, please open to Psalm 32. We're in a series called When. It's a study in the Psalms. We're going to jump in there in just a moment. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you come in power this morning? We, we recognize you're already here, but would you, would you move on our hearts? Would you enlighten uh, our natural understanding? Would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, as necessary this morning, would you convict our hearts of sin and unrighteousness? Would you talk to us about things that need to change in our lives? Would you help us to um, not only understand your truth this morning, but to apply it? And Lord, as we think outside of our own selves and our own church family this morning, we think of the nation of Ukraine. Uh, we think of their dilemma. We ask you, Lord, that you would sovereignly and divinely intervene in that conflict. We ask you, Father, that you would, uh, you would destroy every spiritual force of darkness and evil and wickedness in the spiritual realm that's bringing and seeking to bring death and destruction. We, we speak peace over that nation today, Lord. We pray blessing over that nation today, Father. We ask that you would move on the hearts of leaders. Uh, we pray for President Zelensky and his team military leaders, political leaders, that you would guide them and lead them. We pray for international leaders. We pray for our own president. Uh, we pray for NATO and its allies and those that can join with this, that you'd give them wisdom. We pray, Father, that uh, not only would you use human means, but you would intervene divinely and sovereignly and bring this to a peaceful resolution. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Psalm 32, let me ask a question this morning. How many of you sinned this week? Just lift your hand up. And if you're not sure, stick it up anyways, because you did, you, you sinned. All right, we're gonna take just a second now, and we're gonna get into groups of three and four, and we're gonna confess those sins uh, to each other. We, if you're new here, we do this every week. We just share with, you know, all the dark stuff in our lives. No, we don't, we, we wouldn't do that. But if you sinned this week, then this message is for you. Uh, you, you need to hear this. It's a message about forgiveness. It's a message about hope. It's a message about uh, a new life through Christ. Um, there's, there's some confusion I found among some Christians surrounding this question. Do, do I need to ask God to forgive my sins once I'm a Christian? In other words, um, if, if when I become a Christian, God has already forgiven my sins, all of my sins, and if, if sinning after becoming a Christian doesn't affect my eternal salvation, which it doesn't, in other words, every time you sin as a Christian, <clears throat> you, you're not unsaved, and then you have to ask God for forgiveness again, and then you're saved, and you're unsaved, and you're saved. No, <clears throat> you're covered in the blood and the mercy of Christ by faith in Jesus, not by, not by works. But, but that begs the question then, <clears throat> do I still need to ask God to forgive my sins <clears throat> excuse me, or confess my sins once I'm a Christian? And the answer to that is yes, because the Bible says uh, that there are consequences to unconfessed or unforgiven sin for the Christian. If you think about Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, uh, that's a daily prayer. Remember, give us each day our daily bread. And he also said to pray this. He said, forgive us our, what, sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. So, Asking the Lord for forgiveness is a regular part of discipleship or being a follower of Jesus. Um, so, so we have to regularly do that. Every time we, we sin, we need to seek God's forgiveness. 
for that. Jesus said in John 10.10, he said the thief comes only to, to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. God wants you to have fullness of life. God wants you to live an abundant life. And part of the abundant life that God intends for you is to have a rich, deep, intimate, close relationship with him. And the problem is when you sin and don't confess that sin and get that sin right with God, there's something between you and God. There's something that messes up that relationship. So when, parents, when your child sins or is in rebellion, they're still part of your family. They don't become not part of your family because their heart's in rebellion. But it sure messes up family dynamic, doesn't it? It sure messes up the relationships between parents and kids and even siblings when their heart's not right. If you sin against your spouse, if you hurt your spouse, you're still married, but it sure jacks up the relationship, doesn't it? And until healing and forgiveness and confession can come and you can reconcile and work that out, it really messes up the relationship and that's the way it is with God. God intends for us to have a close, deep, intimate relationship with him, but sin that's unconfessed, that we harbor in our hearts, that we ignore, impedes God's ability to give us abundant life. Not a salvation issue, but it's an issue of, of, of abundant life and in your relationship with God. Psalm 32 talks about the joy of forgiveness, the blessing that comes when our sin is forgiven and we're brought back into a right relationship with God. So let's read together Psalm 32. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It's a Psalm of David, and David says, oh, what joy, say joy. Okay, so what's this Psalm about? Joy, what joy there is for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sin is put out of sight or removed. Yes, what joy, say joy, joy, for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty or transparency or without deceit. David says in verse three, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned in misery all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me, my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment for you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory or songs of deliverance. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Don't be like a senseless horse, stubborn like a mule that needs a bit and a bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love, God's hesed, God's covenant love, surrounds those who trust him. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. Say pure. We have joy when our hearts are pure through the forgiveness of the Lord. So this is a psalm of, of hope. It's a psalm of joy. It's a psalm of blessing. But it's also a psalm that deals with sin. 
I I wanna share three things that I think David teaches us in Psalm 32. And the first is the nature of sin. David addresses the nature of sin in Psalm 32. In fact, David uses three different Hebrew words for sin in the first two verses. Let's read those again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David launches into this with three different Hebrew words that get translated differently in our English Bibles and the first is the word transgression. The first Hebrew word we translate as transgression. And that's a, that's a word that, that literally means like moral perversion, darkness, uh, evil, strong evil. It's like the, the really depraved type sins that everyone recognizes and everyone looks down on. It's, it's like child abuse. It's like pornography. It's like rape. It's like premeditated murder. It's like sexual sin on an ongoing basis. It's, it's the sins that we would say, yeah, we get that. That's certainly sin. For sure, Jeff, that's, that's sin. Whether we've committed it or someone else, there's a... There's a, a, an element of darkness and depravity attached to that form of evil. First word David uses when he talks about sin. The second word we translate in our English Bible in that verse as sin. It's the Hebrew word pasha. That sin is rebellion. It's, it's willful disobedience. It's knowing that something is wrong and choosing to do it anyways with an attitude that says I don't care, <laughs> I know it's wrong, I know I shouldn't do it, but I'm gonna do it anyways. It's the decision to cheat on a test. It's, it's the decision like, you know, I, I know I shouldn't go out and drink and get drunk, but I've had a rough week and I'm gonna go out with my friends, we're just gonna have a good time and I'm, I'm gonna you know, drink myself till I'm, till I'm drunk. It's that decision, I know that's probably wrong. It's, it's, it's I'm going to lie in this situation because I want to avoid the consequences of honesty. If I tell the truth, there's gonna be consequences. So I know it's wrong, I know I shouldn't lie, I know I should tell the truth, but I'm choosing willfully to do this. It's like young couples before they get married, if they're engaged or thinking about marriage or whatever, and, and they decide and they know that, that God doesn't want them to be physically intimate sexually before marriage, but they make the decision to move in together, to live together, to have sex before they're married for whatever reason, financial reasons, convenience, whatever it is. They know that it's, it's not God's plan, but they choose it willfully. That's the second word that David uses for sin. And the third word is translated in our English Bibles, iniquity, iniquity. And that's like moral carelessness. It's like spontaneous sin. We might call it youthful indiscretion. We didn't really try to, we, we, we didn't intend on doing that. It's, it's, it's these momentary outbursts of anger or, or, or cussing once in a while. Like everybody cusses once in a while, right? I mean, it's just, you know, we don't plan on it. We, we try to keep our language clean, but it just, it just kind of happens. It's, it's the one-time sexual encounter that you didn't want to happen, but you were just alone, and one thing led to another, and you feel terrible about it now, and you don't want to do it again, but it, it just happened, right? Spontaneous. 
David begins with these, this, this breadth of understanding of sin. Moral depravity, you know, deep, dark sins that we recognize, and then things that we do that we choose that we know are wrong because we want to avoid the consequences, and then things we may not even want to do, things that are intentional and things that are unintentional, things that we would classify as big sins and things that we would just say that's, that's not that big, deal, big of a deal, right? And David wants us to know it's all sin. And, and if we don't confess that sin, there are consequences that follow each of those sins. In fact, David talks about it in Psalm 32, verses three and four. Here's what he says. David says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. I was miserable, physically miserable. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. As long as I concealed my sin, as long as I didn't confess it and acknowledge it, my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. If you read Psalm 38, the entire psalm is given to the feelings that David is feeling in those two verses right there. His life was miserable. The hand of, of God was heavy on him, wanting to bring him to repentance and confession, but David ignored it and David hardened his heart and he kept it in secret. And because of that, the Lord's consequences got heavier and heavier until he confessed us, and Jesus tells a parable about that in Matthew 18. Let me, let me give you a background to the story. Jesus tells a parable about a king, and the king calls in his servants to settle their financial accounts with him. They were probably tax collectors. Tax collectors went out on behalf of the king and they collected taxes from, from the region or the jurisdiction they were responsible for, and tax collectors were notoriously evil. They, they cheated people. They either cheated the people out of more money than they needed to pay for taxes, or they cheated the king out of money that they received by not giving him the full amount, and often embezzled a lot of money illegally, kept it for themselves. The king found out about this particular servant that he had embezzled millions and millions of dollars that he could never pay back. So the king called him in to settle an account with him, and he, and he said, because you've done this and you can't pay it back, I'm gonna sell you and your wife and all of your kids into slavery so that I can at least get some money back, some recompense for what you've cost me. And the servant falls down before the king, and he says, no, no please, king, have mercy. I, I promise, give me a little bit of time. I will, I will pay you back everything that I owe you. And the text says that the king felt compassion. He felt mercy for the guy. He thought through the, the pain that, that it would cause him to be imprisoned. And it says the king released him of the debt totally. Can you imagine? Like millions and millions of dollars he could never pay back and the king said, you're free. In response to his plea for mercy, the king gave mercy. So he leaves the palace or wherever it was and, and he goes out into the community and this servant finds a friend that owed him a few thousand dollars, nothing in comparison to what he owed the king. And he grabs the guy by the throat and he says, pay me back everything that you owe me. And the guy falls on the ground just like he did to the king and he says, please don't, no, don't send me to debtor's prison, give me more time. I promise you, I will pay back everything that I owe you if you just give me a little bit of time. The guy said no, threw him into debtor's prison. Well, you can imagine when the king heard about that, it didn't sit real well with the king. So the king calls the servant back into the, into the palace and here's how the story ends. The king called in the man he had forgiven the debt and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me, you asked me for mercy. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant 
just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid the debt in full. And then Jesus says this. Now, the context of this parable is Jesus is talking to the disciples. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive someone if they sin against me? Seven times? And Jesus launches into this parable. And he says to his disciples, his followers, Christians, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, the language that, that Jesus uses in that parable, and notice he doesn't say, and the king sent him into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus often uses that language when he's talking about hell, when he's talking about eternal punishment or eternal consequences, and, and they were cast out into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus didn't say that here. He said the king put him in prison to punish him and to torture him until his heart changes. See, what, what was happening was that this guy was unwilling to do what the king wanted him to do. He was unwilling to forgive. That was part of the king's plan to extend mercy, and he wouldn't do it. He was harboring that sin of unforgiveness in his heart. Because of that, he put him in temporary punishment. He put him in solitary confinement where his life wouldn't be very fun. It would be miserable. This isn't eternal punishment he's talking about. This is punishment in this life. And Jesus says, and the Father will do the same to you, if you refuse to deal with the sin in your heart, if you refuse to forgive other people. Notice the servant forfeited the king's favor and the king's grace by refusing to deal with his sin in his life. And that's what the Lord does in our lives. If we sin and refuse to repent of that sin, refuse to confess that sin, refuse to get that sin right with God, there, there's a sense in which, like David talked about, the, the consequences of God fall on our life because God cares about us and he wants us to have an intimate relationship with him. He wants us to know him, but unconfessed sin impedes the, the abundant life that God wants to bring into our lives. Where are you today? Have you, by harboring sin, an unwillingness to deal with sin, and whatever level it is, the, the transgression all the way down to the iniquity that David talked about, are you forfeiting God's favor and God's grace in your life because you refuse to take your sin to him? Well, that leads us to the second point. The first point was the nature of sin. The second thing is the nature of confession. Because without confession of sin, the Bible says there is no forgiveness. Unless we confess our sin, there, there, there's no forgiveness. So let's look at a couple scriptures here. Verse five, David says, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. Matthew six, Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And 1 John 1, 9, John says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we do this, then God does this. If we confess our sins, then God is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us and restore us. If we confess, but if we don't confess, then there isn't forgiveness in our lives. We're forfeiting the grace and the favor of God in our lives. The, 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 the Greek word there for confess 
is the Greek word homologeo, and it means literally to say what's already been said, to say what's already been said, or to say the same thing. And what that means is that, that when you sin, to confess that sin means that you say what God says about that. You say what God has already said about it. God says it's wrong. God says it's sin. So to truly confess that sin, you're saying, God, I know it just seems like a small thing, but you said that's wrong, and so I confess that as wrong. I say what you say about it. It's not watering it down. It's not diluting it. It's saying, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not saying, you know, God, you understand, or God, people do a lot worse things than I do. None of that. It's calling it what it is. It's saying, God, you said that sin, And even if it seems like a small thing to me, I confess this is sin. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against whoever it was, but but you acknowledge it. The second part of confession is sorrow for sin. Not just agreement with God. Did I say agreement with God? Maybe I didn't. But first point was agreement with God. You agree with God about that sin. The second thing is sorrow over sin. So, David says in 38, chapter 38, 18 of Psalms, but I confess my sins, I am deeply sorry for what I've done. This is part of confession, that there's remorse, there's a sense of sorrow, there's a sense of regret in your life for, for what you did. Uh, I, I, I hurt my relationship with God, I, I let God down, I did what he didn't want me to do. God has continually poured out goodness and love and mercy and favor and blessing into my life and this is how I answer God, this is my response to God. I, I go and I do this, I, I am so sorry God that I did that. There's a sense of sorrow in your heart. I'm, I'm sorry Lord that I, I wanna live a life that pleases you and I want the people around me to see what a Christian is supposed to live like but this thing messed it up my witness. Like like I'm I'm a Christian and I did this and people know that I I am so sorry that I I put a shade on my testimony. Or or I'm sorry for who I hurt. I'm sorry that those words hurt that person. I'm sorry that that action devastated that person. I'm sorry that I've really injured my marriage. I'm sorry that, that I've injured a friendship. I'm sorry that whatever it is. And there's a deep sense of sorrow and remorse and regret that David felt. Now, I'm not bad at those two. (laughs) I'm actually pretty good at that. Maybe you are too. Like, I get it, God. You say that's sin. I'm not going to say it's it's no big deal. I'm not going to say that, you know, you understand. And I'm just going to say it's sin. And, and, And I'm sorry. I feel bad about it. But it's this third one that's tough for me. I, I, I don't know about you. The third one is a willingness to obey. A willingness to change. Not just to go to God and say, hey, dude, dude my bad. <laughs> my bad, sorry. Sorry I did that. And you know, I, I feel bad about it. I know I messed up. I, you know, what? No, th- this, this third step is much deeper. This is where you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I hurt you, I hurt myself, and I hurt people, and I'm willing to change and do whatever it takes to not do that again. That's the full circle of confession. I'm willing to to change. Now listen to David. David, in Psalm 51, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, after he had had murdered her husband Uriah intentionally in war and lied about it, 
Psalm 51 is David's call to repentance and confession before the Lord for those sins. And in verses 10 to 12, he says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, a pure heart. Renew a loyal, make my spirit loyal to you again. I don't want to do what I did before. I want to be more loyal and committed. Don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Why does David have to ask God to restore the joy? Because he lost it. Because when you harbor sin in your heart, you lose God's joy. You suffer when, when your relationship with God is not right. There's not joy. There's not life. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and make me willing to what? Say it out loud. To obey you. Bring about this change of heart where, where I'm willing to do what you want me to do. And man, I get stuck in that place. I don't know if you do. Because I can justify sin. I can rationalize sin. Either it's not that big of a deal or, you know, they overreacted or, uh, you know, you know my weakness, God. You, you, you know that I just can't help myself. It's easy for me to get to that point and not say, God, give me a willing spirit. Give me the desire to change. But no, we kind of go, yeah, yeah, God, I, it's sin. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm going to do it again. Let's face it. I'm just gonna do it again because I like doing it. That's not the fullness of confession from a biblical perspective. When David brought his sins to the Lord and confessed those to him, he said, God, you've gotta do one more thing. You've gotta change my heart. I don't wanna just feel bad about it. I wanna do it differently so I don't do that again. That's the heart of repentance and that's the heart of confession which leads to, to point number three. David not only teaches us about the nature of sin and the nature of confession, but he teaches us about the nature of forgiveness. The nature of forgiveness. Remember, this is a psalm of joy. It's a psalm of forgiveness of sin. And so we read in verse five, finally I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Lord, that when I confessed that, you, you lifted that sin from my life. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, the word forgive literally in the Hebrew means to, to lift or carry. It means to, to lift a burden from someone or to carry something that they can't carry themselves. And in Leviticus chapter 16, it's illustrated through the priests and their ministry on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, one day out of the year, the priests would go, would go into the holy place with the, with the blood of a slaughtered animal, but they would also take two goats and they would cast lots to see which goat lost. <laughs> and the goat that lost got slaughtered. And he had to, you know, be, become a sacrifice on the altar for Israel's sins. The other one, I'm sorry, for the, the sins of the priest and his family. But the other goat became um, a scapegoat. How many of you have heard that term before? The scapegoat. And so the high priest would slaughter one for his own sins and the sins of his family. Then he would take the scapegoat and he would lay his hands on its head and he would impose or transfer all of the sins of Israel for that year onto that goat and they would release it into the wilderness. That goat would carry the weight of Israel's sins into the wilderness. He'd carry it 
away where they could see it no more. That's forgiveness. God lifts your sin, carries your sin. Jesus became the Lamb of God who carried or took away the sins of the world, amen? Jesus became the scapegoat. And when the scapegoat left the camp, sin left the camp and the people knew they were free from sin, amen? That's the joy that we talk about in Psalm 32 is Jesus bore that sin. He lifted it or carried it. So there's two things that happen when we're forgiven. One is God's consequences are lifted. His consequences are lifted. Like, like David was saying, man, I was just miserable while I was hiding my sin, but when I confessed that sin and brought it into the light, all of a sudden my relationship with God was restored. All of a sudden that connection was good and, and he removed the consequences that were trying to lead me to repentance. What it doesn't mean when we say God's consequences are lifted is that, that, that social or legal or relational con- consequences are lifted. That, that, that may not happen very soon. In other words, if you sin against someone or if you sin in society, there could be legal consequences that aren't lifted immediately. So you might go to jail. You, you might lose your kids. You might have to pay a hefty fine. If you've sinned against your spouse in a significant way, you, the consequence could be you lost your marriage. See, see, there are social and relational and legal consequences that don't go away just because we now have a right relationship with God. That, that often happens when there's been unfaithfulness in a marriage. It's like, well, well, I'm right with God. God forgives me. God, you know, that's all good. And, and the spouse is like, yeah, but we've got to fix this mess. There are still consequences that have to be worked out even when you're right with God. The second thing that happens when we're truly forgiven put it up there, is God's favor is restored. God's favor is restored. Let's look at that scripture, verses 10 and 11. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love, God's covenant love, surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey him, shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. In other words, they've been cleansed through forgiveness by confessing that sin, God's, God's favor is restored. Now we go back to the parable where, where the king put the guy in prison. He forfeited the favor of the king and the grace of the king. But when we come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, when we come and confess our sin to him, there's a sense in which his grace and his favor is restored in our lives. And once again, like John 10, 10 says, we can have the, the abundant life that God intended. Now, I wanna end with verses eight and nine, because I think this would have been a better ending to the psalm than verses 10 and 11, because David gives really good advice in these verses. Here's what he says. The Lord says, as it pertains to sin and confession, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you, or I will counsel you with my eye on you. So don't be like a stubborn, senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Don't be like the horse or mule that needs some uncomfortable contraption on him to guide him where he's supposed to go. Follow me. The Holy Spirit will lead you to repentance. God says, I've got the best plan for your life. I will counsel you. I will lead you. I will bring you to the place of abundance. Don't rebel. Don't harden your heart so that I have to bring circumstances into your life like a bit and a bridle to forcefully guide you where I want you to go. Let your heart be tender. Be quick to seek God for forgiveness, to confess that sin before him. Would you stand with me this morning? 
Some of you right now, I can see, I can see the bit and the bridle on your face. You're, you're not walking in, in compliance with God and he's having to force you back to repentance and confession. That's not the best way. The, the best way for Jonah was not in the belly of the whale, but God allowed it and then God ended up directing the whale to spit him up on the beach. So you can spend a few days in the belly of a whale or you can just go where God wants you to go. You can live in freedom or you can have God put a bit and bridle on you and force you to go where he wants you to go. Good advice for the godly. Where, where are you today? Where are you in your relationship with the Lord? Can you say like David, what joy there is when my sin is forgiven, when it's been lifted and carried away? Are you still carrying things you don't need to carry that God wants to carry through forgiveness? Let's pray. Lord, this morning we thank you for the, the promise of forgiveness through Christ. We thank you for the grace that was extended to us through Jesus. And Lord, that this morning as we, as we follow the direction of Scripture to, to confess, to say what you've already said about our sin, to be genuinely sorrowful and to be willing to change that we can find the freedom and liberty that you intend for our life, that abundant life. Help us to walk that out today, God. In Christ's name, amen. And before you leave, we're gonna have some folks up here to pray. And if there's something in your life that you just want someone to pray with you and agree with you on or minister to you, come on down. We'll have some folks to pray with you. God bless you, have a great day.